The unsung heroes of the airline industry are the air traffic controllers who allow pilots to do their job safely and effectively. Year after year, their occupation lists among the most stressful jobs in the world. As you can imagine, they have a very high rate of burnout because they have to be constantly vigilant at all times. Just one mid-air mistake could cause a crash and result in hundreds of deaths. And even a minor accident on the ground between planes can result in major losses to an airline. These are multi-million dollar machines they are guiding. So communication between air traffic control and the pilot is nearly constant. You are air traffic control or prayer traffic control over your life. Your prayer life demands constant vigilance. It demands your attention, your alertness, your diligence, and your watchfulness if it is going to survive all the distractions of daily life if it is going to be able to overcome the cynicism of our culture and even the formalism of dead religion. And there's formalism in Pentecost in the 21st century. Let's not fool ourselves. We have nice buildings. We have good programs. We have wonderful media and effective teams and we have dedicated pastors and we have the heritage and the history of decades of prayer from the faithful saints of God. It is possible to coast in Pentecost. It is possible to adopt a Pentecostal style without ever adopting a Pentecostal lifestyle. But I am compelled to stand here in this pulpit one more time and say, not here, not this church, and not us. You have to maintain a vigilance over your prayer life if you're going to survive the onslaught and the attacks of the enemy. He does not like you if you pray. He cares not if you listen to sermons as long as they don't change you. He cares not if you come to church services as long as you don't get in the flow of God's spirit. He only cares if you pray because if you pray, you do all the rest very effectively. And so prayer warriors for many generations have been and still are the unsung heroes of the apostolic church. You hear me well. Prayer warriors make everything we do possible, at least anything that really matters for eternity. Last week, we talked about the element of sacrifice in prayer, specifically about the discipline of fasting. Because the sacrifice that gets God's attention, like no other sacrifice, is the sacrifice of fasting. Fasting is simply restraining your flesh to release your spirit. Fasting is telling your old man no, so you can tell the new man that is inside of you yes. Fasting is like using your physical body to put an exclamation mark at the end of your prayer. Fasting kills the flesh and breaks spiritual chains like no 
other sacrificial endeavor. There is no substitute for it if you want to experience the deep things of God. As I told you last week, fasting is everywhere in the Bible. The prophets called the nation of Israel to fasting in times of trouble and in seasons of consecration. The entire city of Nineveh fasted and God turned around their judgment. Fasting is mentioned about 30 times just in the New Testament. The apostle Paul tells us he fasted often. It's obvious if you read the book of Acts that the Gentiles would never have been reached with the gospel had the church not gone to prayer and fasting. Moses and Elijah and Jesus each fasted 40 days. I don't think it's coincidental that those were the two men that got to appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus tells us he expects his followers to fast. It is always when you fast, not if you fast. And he even told his disciples this, that some prayers don't get answered unless they are accompanied by fasting. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. I am pushed to tell you again that if the enemy has been pushing on you, if he's been discouraging you, if he's been defeating you in your private and personal life, you probably need a season of fasting because you can't fight the devil with your flesh. You can't fight the devil with your New Year's resolutions or your daily disciplines. You can only fight the devil when the flesh is restrained and the spirit is released and that's what we felt so powerfully in this service tonight is the people of God have been fasting we've been restraining the flesh that is such a distraction and a hindrance and in doing so we have been releasing the spirit the Holy Ghost in you bubbles just beneath the surface of your everyday life like a pool, like a fountain, like a river, like a well, like a flood. And it doesn't take much if you're restraining that old flesh. It doesn't take much if you're telling your flesh no to let that spirit just bubble to the surface and burst forth. And at any moment, you don't have to be in a sanctuary. You don't have to be in Bible study at any moment going through your day. You can just lift your voice. You can just talk to the Lord and you'll feel it because you're in a season of sacrifice. It's powerful and it's beautiful. Some things don't ever happen without prayer and fasting, Jesus said. And before we move on tonight, maybe you'll remember these statements from last week. I hope they're burned in your brain. Fasting is the sacrifice that heaven rewards the most and hell fears the most and humans hate the most. It's okay not to like fasting. You're not supposed to. Your flesh is wired to eat because you're wired to survive. So nobody's called you to a year-long fast. You can breathe a sigh of relief. But there are seasons when we make an extra effort and we say, God, 
I am so desperate for you that I'll lay aside this or I'll put aside that. Fasting is the sacrifice that heaven looks down and rewards the most. Hell fears what you're doing. If you've joined your pastor and this church in fasting, hell fears what you're doing because fasting shakes something in the spirit realm. I feel it while I'm talking to you right now. There's just something that's just under the surface. There are powerful people in this room tonight, not just because they're born again, but because they've been praying and fasting. And when the church goes to prayer and fasting, Powerful miracles can happen. Signs and wonders can happen. Unprecedented things can happen if we pray and if we fast. And maybe you remember this statement from last week. Because we haven't asked you to do some Herculean task. We haven't asked you to break all land speed records. We've just asked you to participate. Pastor was very careful as he presented this to us. He didn't ask everybody to go without food for 21 days. He didn't even ask everybody to do the Daniel fast or to do any other kind of fast. He just asked us to make a sacrifice. But here's what we know from everything in life and everything in scripture. If it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. So this is not a season to coast and kind of tune pastor's voice out and just let him kind of mutter on and talk to the saints and, and you just check out and do your own thing. No, this is a time if the Holy Ghost is in you at all, it's a time when you can feel, I need to be linked up, I need to be synced up with what the Holy Ghost is saying through the man of God, through our pastors and to our church. It's so very important. Now, tonight we move on to a second dimension of prayer. And that is not just sacrifice, but seeking the face of God. Seeking God. Seeking God's face. That's an expression that our elders taught us. They said it all the time. And with good reason, because it appears so many times in scripture. Seek God's face, seeking God's face. But here's the thing. If we can't see God's face, how do we seek God's face? So what does that term actually mean that the elders taught us and they said all the time and we have it in our songs and our sermons and our Pentecostal lingo, seeking God's face. What does it actually mean? Well, the Hebrew word for face, panim, it also is the word that is most commonly translated presence in the Old Testament. Face and presence are the same word. To seek God's face is to seek his presence. Now we know God is everywhere present and he's nowhere absent. The theologians call that the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere present, nowhere absent. But see, God doesn't manifest his presence everywhere. You can go to all kinds of places in this city that are given over to sin. Some are given over to wicked, evil, debauchery. And God doesn't manifest his presence there. He's there. He weeps over the sin that enslaves people, but he doesn't manifest his presence. He manifests his presence where somebody wants him where somebody seeks him, where somebody loves him, where somebody worships him. 
And so when we come into a church building like this, we are here to seek God's face or to seek his presence. And there are powerful promises that are released in our lives when we do that. This is the granddaddy scripture of prayer from 2 Chronicles. This was when Solomon dedicated the temple and God was so pleased with the sacrifices that he spoke back. And here's what he said to Solomon. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and here it is, and seek my face, seek my presence and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I'm not taking a cheap political shot. We've got so much politics stuff and junk going on right now. They don't need any more preachers to weigh in. So I'm not making a political statement here. I'm just saying that our land needs a healing. It needs a healing from sin. It needs a healing from hatred. It needs a healing from all kinds of dysfunction. It needs a healing from perversion. It needs a healing in so many areas. And here's what God said. If you'll seek my face, if you'll seek my presence, if you get my presence in your life, then everywhere you go, my presence flows out from you. It overflows from you and your land can be healed if you seek my presence. Seek my face. A person's face reveals so much about their character and their personality. You know this. You've got friends and family. You can see the inward emotions of a person expressed outwardly on their face. You can't see love. You can't see anger. You can't see depression or sadness. But you see their emotions on their face. We all do it. We recognize people by looking at their face. So in a very real sense, scripturally and practically, one's face represents the whole person. And that's exactly how face was understood by the writers of the Bible. When you seek God's face, it's not some weird expression. You're seeking him, his whole person, his whole presence. It requires intimacy to look intently and consistently into someone's face. That's why when somebody comes up to you and they just keep coming closer and closer and closer and they're talking and they're spitting and it's even coming over the top of their mask and they're right about here, what do you do? You back up because it requires a different kind of intent. It, it, it requires intimacy to get that close to someone's face and to be there consistently. In the same way, seeking God's face is equivalent. It means exactly the same thing as desiring and developing an intimate relationship with God. When we pray, we are seeking God's face. I'm not trying to go slow. I feel such an authority and an anointing here because 
of where you people have been and what you've been doing in the presence of God this week through your fasting. I feel like there's an undercurrent in this building and we're just going to let it loose and let God do what he would like to do in just a moment. I'm trying not to stay here too long because I want Jesus to do what only he can do. But I think it would be fitting if we would just let that river of the Holy Ghost, that, that well that springs up, that fountain of living water, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's right here because you've been praying and fasting. Would you open up your voice and would you just let out what you're feeling inside? There's a witness of the Holy Ghost among the people of God. It's this holy rumble. It's this uh, undercurrent. It's, it's grace but it's powerful it's beautiful but it's so strong and when you seek God's face when you want his presence more than you want anything else that's where he shows up and that's when he touches down and that's when things get changed and chains get broken and God turns the enemy to flight and turns situations around and delivers his people it's when we seek the presence and the face of God. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. Just like you taught your children to talk and to walk, prayer must be taught. That's why we come to church. That's why we're in Bible study tonight. That's why some of you that have prayed for years, you're still here for a series called Prayer Traffic Control because no matter how much you've prayed, there's a desire in your heart. I just want to do it better. Prayer must be taught. But more than just being taught, prayer must be caught. You need, you deserve it in your life to get around some people that know how to pray. That's another reason we come to church a lot because we love getting in the presence of people that have marinated in the Holy Spirit for decades. And when they pray, it's powerful. Every once in a while, there's a low rumble from one of the brothers or there's this little beautiful high-pitched voice from one of the sisters. And every once in a while, the Holy Ghost just starts moving we would say from vessel to vessel to vessel and so prayer is not only taught you don't just learn prayer by reading about it in a book prayer has to be caught and so it's really important to have prayer meetings in a church even in the 20th 21st century when we're all so dreadfully busy it's really important to take time in a service even when pastor's teaching and, and we're looking at the clock a little bit and we're wondering how long is he going to go it's still really important to have prayer just kind of filter through a congregation every once in a while because prayer is not only taught, prayer must be caught. And you can catch a spirit of prayer. There are some beautiful, powerful old elders. They just walk in a room and you feel better. They just walk in a room and you sense the presence of Jesus. And I love that. And that's why I love getting in church with all of you. Yes, I can pray all by myself. I like to. But I don't just like to do that because there's a sense in which prayer can 
and be caught. You need some friends that aren't just cool on social media. You need some friends in your life that know how to touch Jesus because I promise you when the chips are down and when life's turned inside out, you're not going to be calling somebody that can put a cool tweet on Twitter or a nice post on Facebook. You're going to want somebody that knows how to get a hold of the horns of the altar and call the name of Jesus. And when you get around people like that, there's something that rubs off on you. Sometimes you just kind of find yourself praying like the elders used to pray. We've got lingo around Pentecost that we say it so often we have to sometimes stop and explain what it means. We got it from the elders. We said it almost without thinking. We figured it out later. But we loved what we felt when those old people went to prayer. Most of them are gone now. We've lost a whole generation of prayer warriors in the last 10 years. It's incumbent on us apostolic people that we've got to pick up the mantle of prayer. We can't just pick up the mantle of a building or the mantle of technology or the mantle of having a staff or a team of pastors or a nice church to come to or a service schedule we've got to pick up the mantle of prayer because we got to get it caught onto a next generation we've got to infect the next generation I want the virus of Holy Ghost intercessory prayer to infect the next generation of Pentecostals I want to be so contagious that when they get in our services and when they get in our worship time and when they get around the altar and when they're among us they catch something I wish you'd make a little bit more noise with your voice I love you clapping your hands but I wish you'd lift your voice because your hands don't do your praying for you your voice does your praying for you that's why the voice is the center of spiritual warfare in your life death and life are in the power of the tongue your hands are wonderful clapping the hands raising the hands waving the hands all good all biblical all wonderful but your mouth is the center of spiritual warfare in your life. That's what you use to call the name of Jesus. That's what you use to rebuke the power of the enemy. It's your mouth. It's your voice. It's your words. It's your prayer. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Rebo loto sabaha. You feel that? That's that river I'm talking about. It's just flowing. Just It's like a stream in New Brunswick. Just flowing along rapidly under the ice. But every once in a while, the ice gets a little thin and it just breaks forth. There's a breaking forth that happens when the people of God seek the face of God. Ah. Prayer must be taught and prayer must be caught but most of all brothers and sisters prayer must be sought because it doesn't just happen automatically your flesh will chafe against prayer your busyness will sabotage prayer your entertainment will distract you from prayer Your mind will make a thousand excuses to get out of prayer. And the devil will war against every moment that he fears you're going to go to prayer.
but if you will pray, God will reward it. Far too many Christians, including Pentecostals, think of prayer as a daily responsibility instead of looking at their time with God as building a relationship. Prayer is not a laundry list of requests given to God rapid fire while your mind is already racing ahead to the very next thing on your agenda. That's not prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. We talk and imagine this and he listens. Imagine what a privilege that is. And if we will take enough time to combine prayer with meditation on God's word, it's amazing. It's not just we talk and he listens. But if you get some word with that prayer, he will talk so you can listen. Far too many Christians seek God's hand, his power, his activity, his might, his deliverance. They seek the hand of God to come into their situation and push the enemy away and touch them with healing and do all kinds of things. They seek his hand, his power, when what they really need is to seek his face, his presence. Because when you get his face, you get his hand. When you get his presence, you get his power. Two times in your Bible, David is referred to as a man after God's own heart, once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament. Do you know why David was referred to as a man after God's own heart? It's sure not because he was perfect. David, he did all kinds of terrible sins. At the point of his greatest failure, on that day, David was both an adulterer and a murderer. So he was far from perfect. But God loved and forgave David because David's greatest desire was to seek God's face. And his greatest fear, it haunted him. His greatest fear was that God would hide his face from David. This is what David wrote in his diary, the book of Psalms, on the very worst day of his life. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Look at this, look at this. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. God, don't turn your face away from me. Don't let me be outside of your presence. Don't hide from me. Don't cast me out of your presence. I can't live without your presence. Now, that's one thing for a man or woman to pray that way on the worst day of their life when they've humiliated themselves, when they've sinned repeatedly, when it's become a scandal, when everything is against them, when people are talking about them, and when they feel like scum. It's one thing to pray that way on that day. But that wasn't the only day David prayed that way. David felt exactly the same way 
on the best days of his life. Look at this. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to see his face and to inquire in his temple. And in that same psalm, written on a mountaintop, written when David was, he was well in control of everything and everything was going well. But in that same psalm, written on one of the best days, of his life. Here's what he recorded. When thou saidst, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. God, you said, seek my face. And everything in me, it just leaped to obey. And I said, God, if you want me to seek your face, your face will I seek. It'll be my priority. It'll be my passion. It'll be my overriding desire. It'll be my great love to seek your face. Since you said it, I'm going to do it. If you want me to seek your face, if you want your face to smile upon me, I'm going to get in your presence. I'm going to seek your face. Then he said, His greatest fear, even on the best days of his life, he was always saying this, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. You have been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. I pray there's a desire in the 21st century apostolic church to say, God, when you said, seek my face, I leaped to my feet, my heart came alive, and I said, God, your face will I seek. When you said, come into my presence, my heart said, into your presence, I'm coming, Lord. I've got an appointment, I'm going to meet you. What is seeking God's face? Seeking God's face is prayer that longs for God's presence and lingers in God's presence. I didn't talk to Kathy or Pastor Jack about the content of the message tonight very much. I just said we'll probably sing a little bit. But what they ushered in when they were worshiping was that longing, lingering presence of God. That's seeking God's face. When you're not content to just have a little touch of his presence and go on with the service or go on with your day, but when you long for his presence, when you linger in God's presence, these things have turned us into distracted, obsessed human beings. Some of us can't go five minutes without checking to see if somebody liked something we put online or if somebody responded to your text. And if you're one of those people that text somebody and they don't answer in 30 seconds and you text them repeatedly, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. These things And all the technology and the computers and the iPads and the tablets and all of the stuff that we have. We're so instant online. You know, it used to be a pleasure to write a letter and put a stamp on it and put it in a post office box and mail it. Because then it was done. 
at least for a couple of weeks, it had to get to them. They had to write back and then they had to wait to send it to you. And you got a break in the meantime. And now people literally send you an email. And if you don't respond in a half hour, they say, did you get my email? If I wanted you to know, I would have told you. If I wanted you to know that I'd read your email, I would have maybe responded to it. Maybe I deleted it. You see, everything in life, brothers and sisters, conspires against us lingering. Lingering. Lingering is, it appears to be wasted time. Our society perceives it as kind of like, well, you didn't prepare very much or you don't have your act together. And if we're not careful, that spirit can creep into a church just like ours until we come to a service and if we pause to just kind of soak up the presence of Almighty God, our minds will argue with us and say, we need to move on with the program or we might be here 10 minutes too long. We don't understand the power of a longing for God's presence or a lingering in God's presence. And so a season of sacrifice, a fast, is all about restraining the flesh to release the spirit. So just because we're stubborn people in a good way, let's restrain the flesh and release the spirit for a moment. And then let's just take a moment or two right now in the middle of pastor's lesson and in the middle of, of teaching Bible study. Would, would, would you just lift up your voice and just take a moment or two and just linger in God's presence? Would you just lift up your voice, lift up your hands if you'd like to, you don't have to, but just do something to show the Lord that you're interested in being in his presence and in, in just kind of soaking up his presence and just linger. Your flesh won't like that. It's like, well, let's get on with the program. Let, let, let's check something. Let's do something. Let's move something. Let's push something. But see, there's something so powerful that happens when we just linger in God's presence. It's the loss art of Pentecostal prayer. It's the lost art of apostolic intercession because we do it really well, but our attention span has been ruined. And so we've got to be very careful that we pull this old flesh into submission and we release the spirit. And the only way you can do that is to long for God's presence. And then when he touches you, linger in his presence. So I thank you for what you're doing however you're doing it right now you know you you do you I'll do me but would you turn up the intensity of what you are doing I'm not asking you to match anybody else I'm just saying God I want to linger in your presence I don't just want to do it at Bible study I don't want to just do it at prayer meeting I want to linger in your presence every chance I get if you honor me with your presence, I'm going to soak it up. If you honor me with your spirit, I'm going to move into it and I'm going to stay there for a moment or two. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. Here's what David said. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. 
in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That's why I love church, to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. I love this place. I know it's just a building. I know those are just chairs. I know this is just a microphone and those are just walls. I get it. But this is a place where time and again the presence of Almighty God has rushed in among us as we prayed and sung and preached and responded and worshiped. And so I just long to see the presence of God as I have seen him in the sanctuary. But I want the moments that I felt and experienced here to follow me everywhere else I go. Brothers and sisters, there's a divine dimension beyond your daily devotions. But you will never discover it until you desire it. Until you seek God's face. And there are so many benefits to seeking God's face. There's strength released in your life when you seek God's face. Look at these scriptures. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face, his presence evermore. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face, his presence continually. And so I close with this principle and a couple of scriptures. When you seek God's face, you will find God's favor. He will smile on you. He will bless you. He will walk with you. When you seek his face, you find his favor. In the Old Testament, when the priests went to bless the people of God, they would lift up their hands and they would say these words. In fact, they were instructed to say these words. They still use this today in the Jewish faith. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make, here it is, his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Here it is again. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Do you know what that picture is? Any of you that are grandparents, you know exactly what that picture is. You watch those little munchkins running around and they are so cute and they are the sweetest, most brilliant grandchildren that any grandparent has ever had in the history of humanity. And when you watch them, they could be doing something that's really quite normal. But to you, it's the first intelligent sign of human life that you've ever seen in a child that young. And what happens? And you smile. That's God lifting up his countenance on us. That's God's face shining, smiling on us. God's way more happy about being around you than you would ever dream God's not looking down on you, wanting to condemn you and hurt you and curse you and damn you. God doesn't do that. That's a last resort of judgment for a world that turns away from him. That's not you. You've turned your life toward God. You've repented of your sins. You're in covenant with the name of Jesus through baptism. You're filled with his Holy Spirit. 
And the devil would like you to believe that you're condemned. You're not condemned. You're blessed. That's what you are. God's not looking at you to figure out a way to punish you. He's looking at you smiling because out of all of the billions of people on this planet, you welcome him into your life and into your day and into your home and your family. Somebody wrote, I thought it was cute. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He's proud of you. He's pleased with you. Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon wrote, Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. And here's what God says to us. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. My face, my favor will shine on them. And this one I, I, I love. In the light of the king's countenance, under the smile of his face, there is life. And his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. Blessing rains down on my life. You might not think I'm much. It really doesn't matter to me. God thinks I'm something. And I think he's something. And his favor, his blessing, far more than I deserve or could ever have dreamed, his favor rains down on me. It's like a cloud of the latter rain. I walked in here tonight under a cloud of God's blessing, and so did you. And anytime you want, you can lift up your voice and you can call forth that cloud of blessing, that rain shower of God's goodness and provision. It's amazing. Why don't you do it for just one second? I'm finished. Would you lift up your hands and your voice and would you just reach out to him right now? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes, 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 yes. There are some people in this room, if you knew how much the Lord loved you, oh, my goodness. The elders taught us an old song. It was in the hymn book for years and years. talks about sweet hour of prayer sweet hour of prayer most of our uh, hymnals most hymnals they contain three verses of that song I know them by heart I love to sing them but William Walford he actually penned four verses when he wrote that great old hymn in 1845 and the verse that we never sing says, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, the joys I feel, the bliss I share of those whose anxious spirits burn with strong desires for thy return. With such, I hasten to the place where God, my Savior, shows his face.
and I gladly take my station there and I wait for thee sweet hour of prayer many of the songs we used to sing they talked about seeking God's face longing for his presence and lingering in his presence I love you I'm glad I live today we've got so many wonderful conveniences I wouldn't want to live in any other generation with all of our challenges we're probably going to be the generation that gets to usher in the coming of the Lord that's a great privilege I have no complaints about us but I don't ever want to lose that longing for God's presence and that lingering in God's presence. Don't let that destroy your prayer life. Don't let that distract you from when God touches your heart. You could be driving in your car and you feel the presence of God. For heaven's sake, reach over and turn off that music or that talk show or whatever you're listening to. If you feel the twinge of the presence of God and just enjoy lingering in his presence for a moment. Oh, we used to sing them. Shut in with God in a secret there in the spirit beholding his face gaining more power to run in life's race I long to be shutting with God. I'm done teaching, so if you'd like to lift your hands and just linger.